With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. As you may have realized, I watch a lot of sports. That's why I like Prime Video. It has all my sports in one app, like the National Women's Soccer League included with Prime. Plus, you can buy Premier Boxing or stream the NHL and NBA playoffs on Max with the Bleacher Report Sports add-on or add Paramount Plus for the Masters on CBS. Prime Video. It's all your favorite sports in one place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Best and worst of the weekend, as we always do. Starting the week, what you saw that you liked, you didn't like. A lot to recap. We'll hear from Jim Harbaugh, Nick Saban coming up. I walked in and my New Year's resolution was ruined when I saw Fritzy. And I was like... Uh, Very nice. <laughs> Uh, That's the way we're going to kick things I know. I walked in. I go, oh, New Year's resolution's ruined. Hey, Todd. (laughs) That would have a pretty straight face. You're laughing now, but at the moment, like, really? I'm just kidding. With every little bit of joking, what did I say? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of kidding. uh, uh, There's truth in in every bit of kidding or a little bit of kidding? A little bit of truth in every bit of kidding. That's right. I know you still love me. Something like that. You don't like me that much. You love me. No, I do. I know. I do. All right. We'll get to uh, phone calls coming up. Here is uh, Jim Harbaugh, and uh, here is the reporter's question for him on uh, ESPN. Well, Coach, you're down here hugging players, and the first thing I hear you say to guys, I love you. How do you describe the bond on this team that just got that win? It's a togetherness. I mean, I don't think anybody can. We're so together, so connected, and uh, we were going to overcome anything that was inside this stadium. Talk to this man right here. He made it happen. We will. That was great. It was like, uh, I don't want you to be able to ask me a question about my future, Holly Rowe. He's uh, like, here, talk to Blake Corum. Come on in here, Blake. See you later. And then uh, Harbaugh went to the press conference. Here is the uh, reporter's question for Jim. Uh, congratulations, Coach. Uh, there's a lot of interest in your future. I wonder if you can tell me what the chances are that the championship game might be your last one at Michigan. <laughs> My future consists of a happy flight back to Ann Arbor, Michigan. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, Jim, back to my question there. <laughs> uh, I appreciate a reporter asking the question. Um, he's not going to answer that. But... You know, it's a must-ask situation. You know, unfortunately, you should be talking about the national title game, but there have been reports out there. Jim hasn't squashed these reports. All he has to do is say, hey, I flirted with the NFL last year, and I let people know that got leaked to an NFL reporter that I was talking to the Vikings, and there's nothing to sway me the other side that he's going to stay at Michigan, and it's, you know, all you have to do is say, Look, I'm not interested in the NFL not going. Now, it doesn't mean that you won't go. It's like when Saban was with the Dolphins. They're like, are you taking the Alabama job? No, I'm not. I'm staying here. And, oh, Nick Saban took the Alabama job. You can always go back on your word. But in the moment there, I didn't think he was going to say much. Yes, Tom? He didn't answer it, but it's a little more light and fun than we're on to Washington or something you get from (laughs) Belichick, any other coach. Yeah. Um, Here's Nick Saban. Talking about the final play of the game, here's the uh, question to the Alabama coach. Coach Saban, could you talk about the last play and what made that one the best one that, that you wanted to go with? Uh, we called three plays. Um, one they called timeout, one we called timeout, and the last one that didn't work. So the fact that it didn't work made it a really bad call. You know what I mean? So... Um, but we called timeout because we had a bad look. We had a good look on the first one. Uh, they must have known it. But Tommy just felt like the best thing that we could do was 
have a quarterback run, uh, which was kind of our two-point play, one of our two-point plays for this game. And the ball was on the three-yard line, which is just like a two-point play. So, But we didn't get it blocked, so it didn't work. We didn't execute it very well, and it didn't work. And they pressured, and we thought they would pressure, uh, but we thought we could gap them and block, block them and make it work, and it didn't. But it would have worked, I think, if Milrow follows his offensive lineman. But you had a bad snap uh, for the entire game, low snaps. The entire game. That center never improved. And Milrow got it low and probably didn't wait for just a split second longer. Uh, you know, Maybe panicked a little bit and then ran right into the, to, to the pile there. If he follows his offensive line, he trips over one of his linemen. But if he follows and goes to the left, I think he scores a touchdown there. It's like Texas. A better pass from Quinn Ewers on the final play. Texas may have won that game last night. I mean, that these games came down to one or two plays. By the way, the Rose Bowl's wonderful. I don't care who's playing in the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl setting is still magical. It's wonderful. And, you know, we wait for the sunset at the Rose Bowl. I just remember being on the, the East Coast, Midwest growing up, and, you know, Ohio State would go out there, and then they would get, you know, bludgeoned by USC. And, but I was like, man, what a great setting to have your team get crushed. You know, because I grew up an Ohio State and Notre Dame fan, and I just remember Ohio State would go to the Rose Bowl, and you'd go, God, it really is a pretty sunset and Ohio State's getting blown out. And then watching last night, and Herbie talked about this, because Herbie grew up not too far from where I'm from. And uh, you just you looked at the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl is sort of like the garden. You know, it's Madison Square Garden. You know, when LeBron plays the Knicks, he's not playing the Knicks. LeBron's in the garden. And the Rose Bowl is the same way. It just makes a, a game bigger. And something about that setting... The fact that, you know, when, you, when you're going to the stadium, you're like driving through a neighborhood, and all of a sudden there's the Rose Bowl. I mean, Lambo's like that as well. You're driving through a neighborhood, and all of a sudden a stadium pops up. And just, you know, there's a few of those stadiums that are still in existence. You know, even Fenway, when you're, you're there and you're walking around the neighborhood, and all of a sudden, yeah, there's Fenway. Still love that. But watching the Rose Bowl last night, that was a, a great setting. All right, 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address, dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle at dpshow. Buddha leads us off in San Francisco. Hi, Buddha. What up, DP? Hey, bud. You know, what, you know what they say, absence makes the heart grow fonder, Dan. <laughs> Great to have you boys back. Even you, Fritzy. Nice sweatshirt. Thank you. Um, but, Dan, who had Ooh. a better weekend than the Harbaugh brothers? No, <laughs> that's a good call, Buddha. That's a good call. You're right. Best of the weekend, DP. Kyler Murray and the Fighting White Onesies taking out Philly on the road. What? <laughs> uh, allowing me and Marvin's Niners to lock up the number one seed in the NFC. Time to get healthy on our bye. And the worst of the weekend, Dan. Going back to Saturday, Dan Campbell and his plums of steel getting jobbed in Dallas, DP. I mean, you say it all the time. If you're a referee and we know your name, Brad Allen, that's probably not good. Thank you, Buddha. Good phone call. He's right about Jim and John. You know, John had a quietly, you know, sneaky great weekend. And and I like how, you know, some of the Dolphin reporters are upset that the Ravens were piling it on. Meanwhile, the Dolphins put up 70 points against Denver earlier this year. I, like, you guys are pros. Go out there. Play. Yes, you know, it's a shame Bradley Chubb got injured late in the game. Should he have been out there in the first place? But Lamar Jackson wanted to win the MVP. He won the MVP. As if he didn't win it maybe against San Francisco. He certainly won it against Miami and then won't be playing this weekend. We'll talk about the NFL scenarios That'll, uh, you know, maybe playing out this weekend, including Buffalo against Miami. Buffalo could be the two seed or not make the playoffs. So the final game of the final weekend of the regular season. And there'll be a whole lot on the line. All right. Uh, let's see. Andrew in Washington. Good morning, Andrew. Welcome back. 
Good morning, Dan and Danettes. Uh, thanks for taking my call, and welcome back for your much-deserved break. Um, I have a best and worst of the week, and my best is kind of under the radar, not football-related, but anytime that you can tie a Wilt Chamberlain record, it's amazing. So Nikola Jokic tied Wilt with his third career triple-double on 100% shooting from the field and the free-throw line in a 142-105 win over Memphis December 28th. And then my worst, you guys have talked about it, you put it in the poll question, yes, David Tepper and the Panthers had the worst weekend. And my Panthers getting shut out, not only having a drink thrown, but getting shut out 26 to nothing. They had been shut out in 342 games. And then David Tepper taking his frustrations out, being the worst owner, taking another step towards Daniel Snyder by throwing a drink on a fan. When fans have done this, they have been banned indefinitely yeah. from NFL games. Yeah. I really want to see what Roger Goodell does to an <laughs> owner that did it. Yeah, I know. When a fan does it, oh, shame on you. You're not allowed back in. When an owner does it, what are he's you going to do? He's the owner. I know. <laughs> what are you doing, dude? Are, are they the gonna, owner. Are they going to make him sit in a, a suite that has a window on it so he can't throw you know, water, you know, drinks on people? <laughs> yeah, Paul. There is a little bit of a prerequisite for this one. In 2009, the Titans owner who passed away a few years ago, Bud Adams, was fined 250000 for making just an obscene gesture at a fan. No fan contact, nothing was thrown. If I started at two fifty, where you think where do you think the fine is for David Tepper? I'm going north of two fifty. Yeah. I'm gonna go a half million. How about that? <laughs> yeah, Seaton. Is he gonna do another lame press conference where he sits down and says, I'm, this starts with me. This starts with me. <laughs> I uh, take full responsibility for my actions. I uh that's always, I mean, that that's pretty much the script now. If it, if it's a coach, if it's a player, you know, hey, a quarterback, it starts with me. Yeah. I wonder if the league should be like, you know what, David? This might not be for you. <laughs> uh, this whole ownership yeah. thing, it's been a long couple of years. Eh, this might not be for you. Yeah. If you can't handle it's not going to get much better anytime soon with Carolina. That's for sure. Or he, he's not allowed to have a drink when he goes there. And, you know, you, you could put in some language there. Maybe um, maybe let the fans throw a drink on him. How about payback? Yeah, Paul. If you're the fan, I'm not kidding. Would, would you, could you sue the owner for having a drink thrown on you? Public humiliation. That's, a, that's an opportunity. Yeah. I don't know. Or settle out of court for, like, free drinks for the rest of your life. Like David Tepper has to buy your drinks for the rest of your life. I'm not. I'm not a lit- litigious person. Yeah, it always you're feels not. Like, no, <laughs> I don't know the fan or fans. I would have been in a neck brace after that. <laughs> Slip on the ice. <laughs> uh, missing work again. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Gin and tonic. Oh. <laughs> in my pores. Um, I'm betting lawsuit. Some type of settlement. <laughs> sure. Why not? If you're going to sue him, great. You know, it's like Elon Musk. You know, if you want to sue him, go sue him. Yeah. He's not going to feel it. Yes, Todd. And whether you think the fans deserved it or not, whatever they were saying, besides the fact that an owner just can't do that, you're probably hitting some innocent people, possibly some kids as well. You can't control where your liquid is going when you just throw it in the direction of fans. Thank you, Todd. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> you're back. You're you are. back. Yep, postseason form. If my little son or little daughter's getting hit with the... Uh, and here we cup. go. You're, you're making an early start for wow. least valuable. I'm tapping out. You can't control where that liquid's going. <laughs> you can't control it, Dan. You cannot. No. You cannot control where that liquid's going. And what would happen if my son or daughter... Think of the children, Mr. Tepper. It's always about the children. I'd explain that to a little kid. Now the kid's traumatized with the one who go to a game anymore because someone threw a drink at them. No, then you go, you see what we did to him? We got him so angry that he threw that gin and tonic on us. Oh, okay. Thanks, Daddy. Yeah, good. Now go do that. Try to make people so angry that they want to hit you through the rest of your life, son. <sighs> Aaron in Missouri. Good morning, Aaron. What's on your mind? Morning, DP. Morning, morning. Dan. Morning. Welcome back. Thank you. Just a quick thought. Uh, best of the weekend, Condoleezza Rice and the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. We have one versus two in the national championship game. And you mentioned earlier Georgia. As the playoffs expand, four weeks ago we had one versus eight. Eight beat number one. 
Aren't we going to see more of this? Uh, sure, I guess. I mean, we're going to have, like, your team is going to be your team when they show up for a bowl game because now you're in the playoffs. I don't know if you're going to have players who opt out getting ready for the NFL or they want to be in the transfer portal. You know, you might have second stringers who may opt out in the playoff situation. Uh, Texas had their backup quarterback, Malik Murphy. He opted out, went to the transfer portal. But at least the games have a chance to be a reasonable facsimile of these rosters. Because that was the shame. You know, I watched the Florida State game, and, and I felt bad because Florida State wasn't truly represented. It, it felt like um, one was playing a scrimmage and the other one was playing for, you know, to showcase their talent and that they should have been one of the final four teams. I mean, that's how Georgia approached this game. Florida State did not. And it wasn't truly reflective of the team that they had. But... You know, Georgia, to me, had a legitimate gripe. If if they lose that game to Alabama, let's say they play in Atlanta in October, then we're going to view we would have viewed that differently. But it's it's when it when they lost. I mean, it was a quality loss. But you can't tell me that Georgia's not better than these two teams that are playing for the title. I mean, I I truly believe they are. They're, that these teams aren't better than Georgia. And Vegas thought that, too. They had Georgia favored over these teams. But, you know, so you can say, and look, I'm on record as saying, Florida State, wonderful season. But I don't think that you're one of the four best teams to play for the national championship right now. I'm sorry. You know, and, you know, you're trying to get out of the ACC, but you wanted us to notice the ACC and, and, and you know, to give you credit for going undefeated in the ACC. And then you wanted us to give you credit for having a backup quarterback who's capable. The backup quarterback is not even, he's transferring. You're bringing in DJ Uyunglele. So we were trying to buy into who you are or what you are. You weren't buying into it either. But Florida State, I wish that that would have been, you know, reflective of their rosters, that it would have been a little bit more of a competitive game. Do I think Georgia still would have beaten them handily? I do. I think Georgia was a great team this year. And the past two years, they win national titles. They won 29 in a row. They lost one game on a neutral site by three. They would have a gripe. And do I think if they played Alabama ten times, I think they're winning seven times. I think Georgia was that good. Washington, wonderful story. But I think Georgia's better than Washington. That's just my opinion, but it's also Vegas's opinion. And they matter a lot. Because they don't put in feelings. They just give you the, the honest look at a team or a matchup, a game. They don't factor in like, oh, we really like them because we like that coach. It was, you know, that same thing with the national title. I mean, I'd love for Washington to win because it would be poetic to say to the Pac-12, there you go, nice console, there you go, nice parting gift. Thank, thank you for ruining this conference here. Now, does the Pac-12 get a, you know, they get a championship trophy to put in a trophy case that they don't have a trophy case probably anymore? Do they have offices? Do I, they have a trophy case? I don't case? even know. Like, hey, the Pac-12 won a national. T- oh, that's right. There is no Pac-12. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Two NBA insiders podcasting twice a week to plug you right into the NBA grapevine. All happening in only one place. This League Uncut, the new NBA podcast with me, Chris Haynes. And me, Mark Stein. Join us as we team up to expound on everything we're covering, hearing, and chasing. Listen to This League Uncut with Chris Haynes and Mark Stein on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's start with that one, Devin. Thanks for joining us. Um, what do you expect out of the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins in that final game Sunday night? Man, I kind of expect a slugfest. I think it's always interesting as these division games come down to who's going to win the division. We all have kind of these preconceived notions from watching the two teams, but I feel like when it's a divisional game, nothing else matters. It all matters about that day. So I think 
you know, Miami comes in a little banged up on defense, losing Bradley Chubb will be big. Uh, and I expect the, the Bills to try to take advantage of that. Getting James Cook going again, running Josh Allen a little bit. I know he had to stinger, so have to see how he feels. But I think ultimately Miami should feel like they're in good shape at home. You've played well. Now you have a chance to win a division like you kind of led all season. You want to go put your best foot forward, and I think it'll have to come from their offense Sunday night. But, you know, the Dolphins entertain me, but I don't know how good they are. All season long, I still don't know. Do you? I don't. And I think for them, they have to try to find that confidence and that edge to say, like, hey, I know what we are. It's been up and down. We've only beaten one good team in Dallas, and Dallas is, you know, Record on the road has been pretty bad this year. But now if we just go beat Buffalo, we can play a home game. We win the division. We can do everything that's in front of us. But if they get stuck on all the narratives of what they haven't done, I think they can, you know, that'll put them in trouble Sunday night. When you get blown out, now this is a team that blew out Denver, scoring 70, and then the Ravens were kind of piling on a little bit. Um, how does that feel as, as a professional? You know, do you – if you're in Miami, are you taking offense that you know the Ravens are still throwing the football while they're up, you know, by four touchdowns? I mean, you can, but you you shouldn't because if you if you don't want them to do it, stop it. Um, but I think it's different. I think for San Fran, they got trounced by Baltimore, but they have played well all year against good teams, bad teams. They had some injuries and had a three game losing streak, but I think they had the confidence to know, like, all right, that was a bad game. We're gonna go rebound and play well next week in Washington, and they did. I think for Miami to lose a game like that, the way they did against another good football team, I think it it, it shocks them a little bit and, and, you know, stuns them and punches them right in the face because it's like, all right, last week we got over this hump, and now not only did we lose, we got blown out. So now we got to find another way to kind of get back on our feet and go out there and play against a team that's really hungry to prove that they had this really bad stretch and everyone thought they were done. And now here they are with a chance to get in the playoffs, and nobody would want to play Josh Allen and the Bills in the playoffs. When you rest in Week 18, I mean, it's tricky because you don't want somebody to get hurt, but you also kind of want to keep that momentum or have that playoff mentality. So if you're the Ravens, they may not play Lamar Jackson. I don't know if uh, the Cowboys are going to have everybody play. The 49ers have everybody play. You have been in that situation before. What What's it like with the team when not everybody is playing? Yeah, I've never had to make that decision as a coach, but I think from a player standpoint, the games and the teams that I've been on when we said, hey, we're going in and we're playing, and sometimes we played a half, sometimes we played the whole game. We didn't know that. We just stayed focused on playing the game. I think that's the best way to do it. I think if you sit out this week, then you sit out next week, that now turns into two weeks where you don't have – a game plan because trust me, if guys aren't playing, they're not going home studying their game plan, watching the film. Like they're taking a week off, so you take two weeks off. And I think you kind of get out of the flow of football. So to me, if you have guys that are banged up, like Christian McCaffrey, you know, kind of strained his cap. Like yeah, you rest him, but guys that are healthy, I would tell them, hey, we're going out there playing, and we're gonna put our best foot forward and continue to do what we've done. Like Baltimore, they've looked great the last two weeks. I don't know if you want to sit everybody and take that risk. Gerard Mayo used to tell me all the time, football is a 100% injury rate. So no matter what, you can't just say, don't play guys because I'm worried about getting injured. Like, we all sign up to go play football, go play football. Do you think Tom Brady was serious about coming out of retirement <laughs> in th this past May? I mean, you can't say he wasn't. Like, why wouldn't he? I mean, and then we watched all of the quarterbacks that got hurt this year. We watched the play of it. I mean, he would have been right. He'd be top. He'd be top what five in the NFL right now at quarterback <laughs> if he was still playing. So I don't put it past him. Well, nobody wants to retire, like I right. <laughs> we all wish we could keep going. Yeah, because I don't know if uh, he wants to do the broadcasting. I mean, maybe he does. I have you talked to him? I, I I've never asked him, but I know people are around him. Um, with you know, he's doing the podcast and different things now. They believe that he does. They said he, he, he's studying, he's preparing. They believe he does want to get out there and give broadcasting a, a shot. Explain the ending on the Cowboys-Lions game. I think it was simple. The Lions drew up a, a play no matter how. Like me and Chris Sims were talking about it. He feels like you shouldn't be able to kind of, you know, 
go against the spirit of a rule. And I'm like, no, like it's if it's within the rules, you should be able to do it. And to me, the lines drew up a great play in a key situation. And I don't know exactly how it was explained for Brad Allen and the crew to understand the play that was coming up. But I thought it was simple. The, the officials, they kind of blew it. You know, they didn't take time. It was a two-point play, so there's no rush. They didn't take time to listen and figure out, all right, this guy's reporting eligible. Dan Skipper had come in time after time in that game. And the officials watch film. He's been that guy all year, coming in heavy, tight end. I'm eligible. And they just assume. And it was just a, it was a human error. And that doesn't make Detroit or Dan Campbell happy. But I think that's what it was. And I think it would have been a lot easier at the end of the day to say, hey, this call and this situation should have been handled better. Obviously, it was confusing. But we need to get this right. That's our job to get it right. And we did it. And it is what it is. Okay. But as a defensive player, the the referee comes and tells the entire defense that, you know, 70 is, is eligible. Yep. And I've been in games. We played the Colts one year. And Blake Costanza caught a touchdown playing the, the identical play, playing left tackle. And we felt like the official didn't tell us who was eligible because the game's going fast everything, they rush to the ball, like that's a part of the game. And if you've played defense, you've been in situations where you're like, no one told us or we missed it. Like that's what happens in key parts of the game. And that's why offensive coordinators wait to pull that out in a play that they really need in an intense part of the game. We're talking to Devin McCourty, works for Football Night in America, won three Super Bowls with the Patriots and their game coming up this weekend. It'll be the Bills and the Dolphins, the final game of the regular season. How much better are the Niners and Ravens? If I gave you the Niners and Ravens or the rest of the field to win the Super Bowl? I, w- I would take those guys by, right now, I would say a pretty long shot. I think once you get in the playoffs and, you know, how it works out, that can change. But I think from just watching the games, how they've kind of come about, these two teams all season have been, you know, two of the better teams. And I think these, you know, last few games of the regular season – They've kicked it up a notch to really try to go into playoff form. So um, I don't really think anybody uh, in those two divisions are close. I uh, say those two conferences, I mean, are close to, you know, Baltimore and San Francisco. What's wrong with the Eagles? Confidence. I, I think, you know, we always talk about this swagger or like trying to, you know, live up to it. And it comes from doing something day in and day out. And this team from the beginning of the season hasn't been able to be in the form that they want. And early in the season, they continue to say, we got to keep getting better. We're going to keep progressing. And then it got to a point where it was like, all right, we keep waiting and it's not happening. And I feel like now you can feel just the the animosity, the tension on the sideline. They beat the Giants last week. I don't know what Devonta Smith and Sirianni's talking about on the sideline, but they're wrapping the game up. And these two are going back and forth. Do you see A.J. Brown frustrated this week? You know, they whatever you want to call what they did with Desai, him going upstairs, Matt Patricia coming down and calling a defense that's not <laughs> his defense is a very abnormal task to put on a person. Hey, I know you don't run this defense naturally, but call it. So it just seems like they've been searching and they haven't found it. Um, and we've been waiting to see, can they get one win that kind of gets them going and then to go lose this past week? Seems like that could be... Uh, the end of the Philadelphia Eagles this year. All right. I'm going to uh, let you have the floor to talk about Rutgers football. <laughs> what a doozy it was. <laughs> I was at the game, Yankee Stadium against the U, to see all of the U, the starter throwback starter jackets. Um, Rutgers goals gets a huge win. And I know the Bulls aren't what they used to be, but Vince Wolford didn't like my text message. He kind of dismissed me. You know, it's a great you. He used to tell me all of the stories. So I just wanted to let him know that we beat, you know, we beat up on his team, his alma mater, but he didn't want to hear it. But uh, the future looks really bright uh, at Piscataway, New Jersey. Uh, wait, let's not get carried away there. Let's <laughs> not get carried away. You know, it, it pinstripe bowl. I mean, come on. It's not, it's not we the take Rose our ways where we can get them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next year. <laughs> what, was that your biggest offer, Rutgers? It was. It was actually my only, uh, I don't know what it's called now, but at the time, Division One A offer yeah. uh, was Rutgers. That was the only one I had. Wow. You're not bitter, are you? Did you, well, that probably, you, you played with a chip. Do you still have a chip on your shoulder? Oh, well, for one, 
Coach Shiano at Rutgers didn't want to offer me. My brother was the better player coming out of high school. <laughs> they only offered me because my mom, I ended up finding this out uh, probably a few months ago that my mom went and told Shiano it's a package deal. You can't get one without the other. So that's the only reason Wait, they offered mom me. mom just that. told you? She went behind our back. Mom didn't tell us. Darren Rizzi, special teams coach for the Saints, who recruited us to Rutgers at the time, was with my brother when my brother called the Saints game, and he told him that story. And I, I told Shiano after when we spoke to Rutgers. And then Boston College wouldn't offer me. So I've always had a little chip on my shoulder uh, that so many schools decided that I just wasn't good enough. Uh, definitely pushed me uh, my whole career. You don't mess with mom. Yeah, my mom knows, and she made sure not to tell me because she knew I wouldn't have went if, if I knew they, she told him that. So she kept it a secret all this time. <laughs> uh, great to talk to you, and uh, have fun on Sunday night. Thank you again, Devin. No problem, man. Appreciate you having me That's on. That's Devin McCourty, Pride of Rutgers University. Interesting story. Mom comes in, Bigfoot's uh, Coach Shiano. <laughs> hey, it's package deal. Okay, all right. Bring you and your brother in. It'll be uh, Dolphins in the Bills Sunday night and uh, kickoff at 8.20 Eastern. A couple of phone calls in here, best and worst of the weekend. Chris in North Carolina. Good morning, Chris. What's on your mind today? Hey, good morning, Dan Danitz. Uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, 6 250. I got a best and a best for the week. Okay. Uh, the Niners, of course, winning, taking the number one seed. And then uh, added to my starting lineup, uh, number five in the in the vouch, uh, Daniel Theodore, hit uh, hit the de- December twenty seventh, and uh, doing strong and fine. Oh, oh, uh, you had a baby on the twenty seventh? Yes, sir. Sorry to. I'm just excited about the whole situation. <laughs> and what's the baby's name? His name is Daniel Theodore. No, it's not. When you prove. I, sw- I swear. You got it. I hit you, my wife up about it. All right, all right. And that's what's you, coming I, on the social security card. No, no, you you stay on hold. I'm going to have Tyler uh, get information. I I don't think we made DP show onesies. Do we, Seaton? Have we? Are we in the onesie business for uh, babies yet? I, I think for a minute we were in the onesie business. I'm not positive. Okay. All right. Well, Chris, uh, Tyler, put you on hold. We're going to need we're going to need proof of that. Daniel Theodore. Thank you, if that's the case. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Theodore. Imagine talking to your wife. Hey, honey, I got the name. Daniel Theodore. Well, wait a minute. We, we don't have any uh, history with that name. Daniel or Theodore. It'd be funny if it was just like him being really generous. You know, how about after your father? We could do it after your father and your grandfather, Daniel and Theodore. Wouldn't that be? <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, Nick in Charlotte. Hey, Nick, what's on your mind today? Hey, DP. Hey, bud. Uh, big Lions fan here uh, with them in the uh, media a lot lately. I think one story is kind of getting untold, and that is the potential return of Matthew Stafford to Detroit for yeah. the playoff game. <laughs> um, and it's going to be a warm welcome. Uh, he's still loved by many Lions fans. And then it's also the potential of the Lions winning their first playoff game in my lifetime. So I feel like it's a win-win. Yeah, that's good. Could be fun. You know, you got to be careful facing the Rams. Yeah. They got a running back. They got receivers. You got Stafford there. Still have Aaron Donald there. Nobody is talking about them. And Sean McVay has done an incredible job. Because after what happened after the Super Bowl and then uh, last year and then expectations weren't very high, uh, I certainly didn't have. I mean, who knew that Puka Nakua and uh, Williams would be a great running back, but uh, I mean they've they have done a great job, great job at taking uh, some chances on some players, not having high draft picks, and that is a dangerous team. They're a fun team to watch. I, I've found myself watching a, you know a lot more of the Rams than I thought I was, and uh, you know the fact that you know Cooper Cup is healthy, Nakua is going to have the greatest season a rookie wide receiver's ever had. At least it looks like that with yardage. He's going to have close to 1,500 yards in his first year. How does that happen? Where you go, okay, right place, right time, right position, fifth-round draft pick. Everybody saw him or could have seen him, but and maybe it's like Cooper. I mean, there are just certain players where you go, huh? 
Things that make you go, hmm. Yeah, Paul. It's like Devin McCourty. He barely got an offer from Rutgers. His first year with the Patriots in 2010, he was a pro bowler. He was second for defensive rookie of the year. He had seven interceptions out of nowhere. Yeah. But Puka Nakua, like you're just going, huh? <laughs> I remember watching BYU, and I'm, I didn't go, God, that guy's going to play on Sunday. By the way, now I have my, my pet peeve during bowl season. It's over now. It, you know, bowl season is over now. But when you get the, um, the uh, young freshman as opposed to an old freshman or the, uh, the big, his big tight end, he's always a big tight end. A few <laughs> small tight ends. Yeah. Okay. Nobody ever says, oh, he's going to throw it to his small tight end. That now it drives me crazy. And, and sometimes you'll, like somebody got hit in the eye and the analyst goes, boy, that, that, that's going to hurt. No. No. Or somebody gets injured, you, oh, you don't wish that on, you know, I hate to see that. Does, does an analyst ever go, man, I'm happy to see that. <laughs> you know, he's, he's got his young freshman. Okay. Yeah, Paul. And then the interception, he's going to want that oh, one. Oh, you got to want that one back. What if he didn't? He's like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick by that throw. I really hummed it in there. It wasn't my fault. Oh. And you know what? You, you stick your foot in the ground. How about just a nice cut? I, we, we, we have to dress everything up. And you don't. You can do Like running downhill. How many people know what running downhill is? I mean, technically, they're not running downhill. <laughs> can you imagine like one of the sides of the Whoa! field? Was up? Yeah. <laughs> hey, the Rose Bowl, it's a foot higher in the sense. Yeah. Hey, let's go right because we get, to, we get to run downhill. Hey, that's not fair. Running downhill. All right, let me take a break. We'll get to more phone calls coming up. Back after this, Dan Patrick Show. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Spent a little time. We were off when this happened with the Cowboys and the Lions, but we touched on it briefly. Uh, Dean Blandino, Fox NFL Rules Analyst, former NFL VP of Officiating. He was in studio when uh, the Cowboys-Lions controversy took place at the end of the game with that two-point conversion. Dean joins us now. What did you see in the moment with that play, Dean? So in the moment, what I saw was it was unusual, to say the least, because typically when a lineman reports, it's just that lineman. They swipe the front of their jersey. They go to the referee. But actually, there were there were two linemen, Panay Sewell and, and Taylor Decker, that went to referee Brad Allen, and then a third lineman that was running onto the field, Dan Skipper, um, toward Allen, and then and then obviously Brad announces seventy is reporting is eligible, and and, I, and that that you know that whole the whole play really predicates on sixty eight being eligible because he's going to play the end of the line and he's the one that's going to go out and catch the pass. So it was unusual to see. Two and a third offensive lineman kind of going toward the referee to almost make it look like they were, you know, one or or two or all three were reporting. But obviously there was there was some kind of miscommunication that took place because the Lions certainly wanted 68 to be the eligible player. Did the Lions do anything wrong? No, I, the Lions did not do anything wrong. They they. And I have no doubt in my mind, obviously not knowing what was said, but I have no doubt in my mind that 68 said that he was reporting to the referee. You don't, you can't run that play without 68. And that's practice. This is something, this is a two point try with so much riding that game, playoff implications. So there's no doubt in my mind that 68 is reporting. I do think the way they presented it, um, created a little bit of confusion for Brad Allen. I think he went too fast. I think there's some accountability on, on the official side as well. 70 had reported earlier during the game. He sees 70 coming in. He assumes it's 70 and, uh, and goes too fast. So I think there's, there's, I don't think the Lions did anything wrong by rule. I just think the environment created a situation where, where quite frankly, Brad Allen assumed something that wasn't true. Okay. But, they gather up after that. Can you, you know, I mean, why can't you just correct that? Or why doesn't, can the home office help them correct that? The Lions were saying, Jared Goff was saying, Dan Campbell was saying, hey, he reported, he was the tackle eligible here. Why couldn't they just say, you know what, we made a mistake? 
you know, at that point, I don't think they thought they made a mistake. I think Brad Allen thought that 70 was reporting. So, and they still, in the pool report, they had 70 reporting. So I don't think the, the league or the officiating crew thought that they made a mistake. Um, you know, they, he did make the announcement. I don't think he came over the broadcast, but I have seen some videos on social media where the announcement was made in the stadium. Um, a lot of times those announcements are hard to hear when you're at field level. And, and I just think that, that miscommunication combination of going too fast, what, what the Lions presented. And again, I think you can't, there's certainly accountability. I'm not, I'm not absolving the officiating crew in this situation. I think Brad just went into kind of auto drive mode and assume 70 was reporting. And help me understand when the coaches get together with the officials prior to the start of the game, what is discussed? And do you think that that was discussed by Dan Campbell to the officials? Yeah, I'm sure it was discussed. So 90 minutes before the game, two officials go to the home coach, two officials go to the away coach. They visit in the locker room. They go through any questions the coach may have, um, any special plays, any gadget plays. And and from my understanding, Dan did explain to the officials that 70 would report during the game. Um, we do have a, a tackle-eligible play that we may run. I don't know to what detail or what extent it was explained to the crew pregame, but that's normal protocol. That happens every game when you have something because you don't want the officials to be caught off guard in a situation like that and maybe throw a flag where it, it, it isn't a foul. And I think that's why those, those meetings happen. And I know that a conversation took place between the officials and Coach Campbell before the game. It just looked, it felt like the officials were blaming the Lions. Like they, they created, they were trying to be too cute, you know. That, it just felt that way in the post-game interview. It, it, it did, and, and I've explained it that way, too. Look, I think the Lions were trying to disguise who was eligible, but there's nothing illegal about that. There, there's no, there's no um, you know, foul there. And I do, again, I can't imagine them having this play in, in this situation, and 68 is not going to tell the referee, I'm eligible. And again, I, I do think it's just the official went too fast, um, and, you know, here we are talking about it. Talking to Dean Blandino, Fox NFL Rules Analyst. Looking back on this season, what stands out good and bad with the referees? Well, I think there's been some high-profile misses. I think you look at this crew, the Brad Allen crew, they've had a tough year, quite frankly. You go back to the Packers-Chiefs game, they've had some situations. I do think the the league is is using technology more, and I think that's a good thing. Keep the game moving, correct obvious mistakes, but the scrutiny just continues to increase. And I think we're, I honestly think we're at a tipping point. I think we're at a tipping point with officiating and where do we want to go from here? Do we, do we need to implement more replay, more technology? Um, you know, my personal feelings is we got to get back to the basics, the core. What is, you know, we're missing pass interference. We're not missing it because of technology. We're missing it either we're out of position. We're not getting good direction. We're not being consistent. So I do think we're at a tipping point. And, uh, and I think the, the, you know, ownership and, and as we get into the competition committee process in the off season, I think officiating is going to be a big topic on the agenda. Okay. But what would be your advice or recommendations of now what should the NFL do? You said we're at a tipping point. Okay. I'm going to make you the commissioner. What do you do? So for me, I think we've got to take a good look at the officiating department structure. We need to, for, for very long, it's been officiating is, and for lack of a better term, a necessary evil, right? It's the officials are important. They're critical to the outcome of the game. But, but when, whenever we're talking about it, it's usually negative, but it's such an integral part of, of, of what happens on the field on, on game day. So I think you got to look at the department, look at the structure. Do we have the right people in place? Are we giving good direction? The competition committee process, that process, is there is there conversation during the season? Are the competition committee members, and it's hard because you've got head coaches, Mike Tomlin, Mike Vrabel, they're trying to win football games. They're not, they don't have time to jump on conference calls and do these other things. But can we create a structure where you can have conference calls throughout the season, maybe it's once a month, whatever it is, to kind of see where we are with officiating. What are the issues? How can we correct it before the season ends and not just – because once the season ends, if we get through the playoffs without any controversy, 
everybody will kind of tend to forget. We'll get into February and March, and uh, and nothing will get done. I do think the league needs to take a good, hard look at officiating the structure and how we're training these officials. Yeah, and, and you bring up a great point. Imagine if this happened in the postseason. That's when we have change. When it, yep. you know, it's really impactful. Um, and imagine if it happened against the Cowboys, like it went against the Cowboys, and Jerry Jones all of a sudden went on a crusade. Things would change. No doubt. I mean, we saw the 2018 NFC Championship game with the missed call and pass difference. We changed the rule, and it didn't it didn't work. It lasted one year. So the playoffs are going to be, I really, and it's unfortunate, but I think the playoffs are the, that's the, the key point. If the playoffs go well and there's no controversy, people will forget about the regular season and they'll say everything's great. If we have a bunch of these types of plays in the playoffs, then I think it, it it's all heightened. And then you're right. And especially if it happens, certain teams, yeah. more high profile. Um, I think then that, that, that drives change. When the official goes under the hood, how many voices? Does he hear? How, how many people are talking to the official? It it it, it is personally. There's too many voices right now. You have a replay official. You have several people in New York at the at the league office, and there's probably four or five people talking to each other. and And I think that's too many people. Um, I think it's become more of a committee decision. Um, you know, when I was there, it was it was myself and the referee communicating through the play, and we were trying to just get to a consensus. Anytime you add more people to the mix, it's going to get harder to get to a consensus. It's going to take longer. You're going to be less efficient. So there, there's probably four or five people right now that are communicating during those reviews, and I, I think they're taking too long. Great to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. As long, you know, one of these days we'll. Well, there'd be no reason to have you on if everything's good, Dean. <laughs> no, no, only only when things go go bad. So, <laughs> thanks for joining us, as always. Thanks for having me, Dean Blandino, Fox NFL Rules Analyst. You know, when Fritzy reaches out, it's like, uh, you know, hey, Dean, Dan wants to talk to you. Oh, great, yeah, Paul. Like, imagine the refs have a nice, clean weekend. And <laughs> hey, week let's eight. have Dean Blandino yeah. on. Hey, great calls. Yeah. He'll be part of the uh, Fox broadcast Steelers, Seahawks, Saints, Buccaneers. That'll be uh, coming up this weekend. You get to watch football, and you basically just monitor those games. Kind of nice. Nice gig. All right. I'm looking at the scenarios here. So, the Bills, they could win the AFC East and be a number two seed. Or they could lose to Miami and miss the playoffs if the Jags and Steelers win. Pittsburgh's at Baltimore. Lamar Jackson's probably not going to play. NFC South. Buccaneers and Saints are 8-8. Eight and eight. Tampa has the tiebreaker, and then they play the Panthers on Sunday. Kansas City and Philly, they're combined 2-8 and eight in December. I mean, there's still some crazy scenarios here. Imagine Buff- nobody wants to face Buffalo, but they may not even make the playoffs. Because it's conceivable that Pittsburgh could win in Baltimore, you know that rivalry, and then you got the Jags. Yeah, Pauling. Do I think the Colts kind of control? I hate saying it, their own destiny. Could, if they win, are they in? I think I. I think Colts Texans is almost like a playing game. So, Jacksonville, Indy, Houston are nine and seven. The Jags, if they win, they're in at Tennessee. The Jags lose, then the winner of the Texans Colts game Saturday night would make the playoffs as the division champs. <laughs> you got it? Got it. I you think got, I got it. it. Got it. Yeah. So a little, uh, little drama left to uh, be played out. But if you're the Ravens, do you want – like you don't want the Steelers to win that game. Like you hate the Steelers. That's the, that's the biggest rivalry in the NFL right now. But the Ravens are not – I can't imagine where they're going to go, yeah, it's okay, let the – Let the Steelers win this game. Don't see that happening. Craig in New Jersey. Craig, thanks for holding. Best and worst of the weekend. Hey, Davey. First off, shout out to my brother for buying me a crap steak uh, coffee mug. Definitely one of my favorite gifts. Uh, Best and best-er of the weekend. Devin McCourty is absolutely right. Rutgers football is back, baby. (laughs) And best-er, the best-er, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the Winter Classic yesterday, but when the Seattle Kraken were being introduced, the game being taking place in Seattle, of course, they leaned heavy into the Pike Place uh, Fish Marketplace. They were walking out of the dugout, 
and they had these prop guys, these actors, throwing fish across the walkway while they were being introduced. That was equal parts cool and just totally ridiculous. I was a huge fan of it. Thank you. All right, Craig. Yeah, I've been there. I've been to the market. I didn't buy anything. I just went in there. I was staying downtown. I was like, all right, let me go see it. You know, I'm a tourist. Do those goofy things. Yeah, Paul. NFL broadcasts always show the most yeah. cliche thing from every town. You know, Chicago, they show the big pizza. In Seattle, they show the throwing fish. I don't know if you saw the game last night, but Ooh. the game was in New Orleans, Marvelous. Oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah, we've seen it. They yeah, did a live, a live uh, shot of Bourbon Street, and there was a, a, a woman there who wanted some beads, and she did what you do, and it got caught during a live shot. Okay, fair enough. Uh, no one's at fault yeah. for that. That's just one of those, you're just trying to get a cliche shot of Bourbon Street, and oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, it was a college football doubleheader. So, yep. uh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, yes, yes, Tom. Or you can bank those shots, get it on tape, and then edit out something that might be inappropriate. Oh, thank you. Welcome. That would leave us nothing to talk about. We wouldn't have anything to talk about. I'm guessing that shot probably was banked. Nobody just caught it. Oh. It, it, it was tough to tell. It, it was like a walk, a walking through. A, we're going to break. We'll see you after halftime. And they're walking through the French Quarter. Mm. And it was a quick uh, whip out, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, Marvin. Seaton's right. Those are definitely banked. Because the cameramen, they go out before the game. Because those same cameramen are doing the game. And so... Well, wait a minute. The time, it was in the evening. They may have done it the night before. Because of sundown, sunup thing, they sometimes do stuff stuff live, so it looks live. Okay. As opposed to if they taped it before the game, it could be light in New Orleans, and it would look odd. To me, that looked like a live, live throw to break, where they're running through a cameraman through New Orleans. Feels yeah. like it would be a lot of work to yeah. get that one live shot. <laughs> Usually done the night before. Go ahead. Is that what it is, Mark? <laughs> you know about these things. Yeah, they go to New York City when the the Jersey the Jersey Giants and the Jersey Jets are playing. Yeah, and they go, all right, let's you know get a get some beauty shots, beauty shots of uh, of Times Square. All right. You guys playing East East Rutherford? Uh, last call for phone calls. What we learn, what's in store tomorrow, and we'll try to accomplish that right after this. At Bed Three Six Five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.